shock, dismay, sadness. The state of mind and heart of the disciples that we hear in today's gospel in many ways reflects our own state of mind and heart as we gather here to mourn our beloved departed. And as the family particularly chose this reading, this gospel reading, which does not at first present itself as a funeral reading, as a way of encountering the risen Christ. Notice that the risen Christ in the gospel is always encountered by those who are grieving, those who are mourning, those who are seeking and who are searching. Not despite these very valid but perhaps challenging and negative human emotions, not despite but precisely because we find ourselves there that the risen Christ wants to walk amongst us, wants to journey with us, wants to bring us from a place of sadness and sorrow to encounter and to be and live within our minds and our hearts as he did those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And so this morning I'd like to reflect using this gospel, this gospel that the family has given us, to point out four brief moments of that journey, which might not only give us comfort and consolation, but allow the risen Lord, the resurrected Christ, to live within us anew. And that first moment, of course, is what we might characterize as the great conversation. <laughs> the great conversation. It's one of those moments in the gospel, which maybe top 10, if you could travel back and be a, a fly on the wall, so to speak, you would have wanted to be part of that conversation between Christ and those disciples. And whoever the beloved parted was for you, whether he was a family member, a sibling, a husband, a dad, a grandpa, a great-great-grandpa, whether he was Larry, a, a colleague, a friend, or someone in the supermarket <laughs> that he fell into conversation with, or, or whether for those of us who were his students and whom he mentored, Mr. Shields, <laughs> perhaps a little more formal, if yet still familiar, personal in that way. Whoever he was for you, Larry, Dad, Mr. Shields loved a good conversation. <laughs> loved a good conversation. And in terms of conversations and uh, gathering notes from the family, uh, that sense in when someone has the intellectual gifts that he did, sometimes a, a conversation can be a, a bit one-sided, right? <laughs> Simply asking a question, waiting for the person to give their answer, and then saying, well, here's how it really is. <laughs> 
that was not Larry. <laughs> that was not Mr. Shields, <laughs> right? In, in, in listening and, and inviting into that conversation, a sense of seeking the truth, of searching, of the conversation itself being the road by which some new truth, some new idea, the very person of Christ might be discovered anew and afresh. As one family member said, even though he was often the smartest person in the room, he never made you feel dumb. <laughs> he never made you feel less than in that way. A very gentle, humble, but if you will, ruthlessly searching, <laughs> indomitably seeking for the truth. And, and never letting, if you will, the expectation of person's knowledge get in the way, I remember the first time I sat there in the commons at lunch and I remember him asking me about freshman seminar. And I thought to myself, I just, you know, the, the Iliad was a little bit, uh, <laughs> I found it challenging initially <laughs> beyond uh, the, the kind of caliber of reading I had done previous to that. And he was interested <laughs> in what I had to say <laughs> about, he asked me about, um, I believe it was Achilles' shield. He says, what do you think Achilles' shield symbolizes? And I hadn't a clue. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, well, maybe this is his way of just politely letting me answer and then he's going to tell me the answer. But no, he, not just being polite, he, trying to draw forth from me a kind of, um, almost pedagogically, that kind of uh, dialectic, bring me to a new place. And he did it in such a gentle way, a way that put me at ease, uh, that at a certain point I just said, well, you know what, I don't know about all the symbolism. <laughs> all I know is that that shield better be better than the armor he gave Patroclus. <laughs> it's gotta be, you gotta withstand Hector's sword this time around, right? And he loved that answer. <laughs> Practical in that way. Never considering in any conversation, perhaps the messenger, and for some of us we felt like, you know, I guess going by the principle that even a broken clock is right twice a day, <laughs> um, that there was some truth that we could give to him. That sense that the message, the idea, the truth was more important in a sense than the person he was dialoguing with. And here he followed, imitated his great intellectual hero, Thomas Aquinas himself, right? Thomas in his Summa, a text very dear to his heart. In fact, I think uh, someone was sharing, I heard a story of when the, the fires were sweeping through here and evacuation was needed. And it was kind of the question of if you had to save one thing from your office or your library, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> and what was it, Mr. C? Right? The Summa, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and in honoring his 50 years being a, a tutor here, he was asked if there was some text uh, that might be uh, close to his heart that he would receive an acknowledgement of as 50 years. And, and I'd love to ask him precisely why, maybe some of you may know, but, but he chose uh, an old library copy of the Summa. I mean, I know he, he, he certainly had the Summa, but treasured that text in a way. And, and Thomas himself, as we probably well know, inquires with the deepest questions, the most profound questions about God himself, and does it by considering all the alternatives. Does God exist? I'm like, I certainly hope so, or this is going to be a short book, right? <laughs> and yet, and yet he takes seriously, takes very seriously 
the possibility that God does not exist. Some of the greatest arguments for the non-existence of God given by someone who is a faithful believer. And even the fact, the great project of combining Aristotle, bringing that Greek philosophy into a synthesis of theology at the time, unheard of why Aristotle, given to us, communicated to us by non-Christians, by the Islamic world. And yet Aquinas saying, we need to find truth wherever it may be. For Larry, for Mr. Shields, that was a paradigm. Discovering the truth, listening for the truth, no matter where it came from, no matter who it was. Why? Because it was the truth. It's compelling in every way, the search for the truth, listening. And this leads to that second moment as the apostles, of course, come to what might seem to be the end of the road. What do they say to our Lord? They say, stay with us. Remain with us. And here I think of Larry of Mr. Shields and his ability to not only remain with but be a center of gravity for family and for friends. To give a kind of image in, in my office in San Francisco, I, I have a picture. I don't have too many pictures, but one picture I do have is of the day of my ordination. And it's, it's a picture that is taken in uh, the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the backyard of uh, St. Albert's Priory, uh, the mother house of the Dominicans. And after being ordained at St. Dominic's in San Francisco, we went for the reception back to Oakland and we took a picture of the 3540 members of Thomas Aquinas, graduates and others who had traveled to be there for the celebration. It's a beautiful picture, it's, it's, it's close to my heart, expressing the fullness of, of joy, and the power of that moment. And if you're not careful as you scan the faces, you might miss him. But if you just sit with the picture for a moment, your eye goes right naturally to the, to what, the focal point of the picture. And who's right there in the center? Mr. Shields, Larry, right at the center of all of this celebration and delight, right there in between myself, right in front of myself and Father Augustine, or right in front of my own sister. And he has uh, the most quiet presence, but the biggest smile. And even though it's taken at a distance, those twinkling eyes, right? <laughs> perhaps mischievous <laughs> even, even uh, in, in the sagacity of the wisdom that he had. Huh? He was at the center of our lives. Quiet, gentle, and yet strong in every way. And so to, to hear stories of, of family, uh, siblings, uh, talking about a young Larry scampering up a ladder at three years old <laughs> and stuck on a roof, <laughs> other mischievous endeavors, <laughs> taking the financial windfall of, of uh, Captain Jiffy, <laughs> the horse that came in to buy uh, a, a copy of Newton's Principia, <laughs> to hear uh, from uh, um, sons and daughters, a family of mm, that sense of how he was dad, strength of being dad, someone who was, and let's face it, those who have particular intellectual gifts don't always have hmm, the most practical side of life figured out. <laughs> he was someone who had a sense of industry, entrepreneurship, 
a, a sense of the practicalities, although one image that comes to mind is a, re a recollection of him mowing the yard in wingtips. <laughs> or of going and, and uh, gathering uh, things to fix up the house or things at, at the thrift store, or never turning down or seeking a deal for a used car for one of the siblings. I have been present to the gentle and yet very firm negotiating kind of tactics that he would employ. At the center of everything, and to hear how literally he remained with Linda, his wife, recently in her own convalescence, and was at her side, even at a time when COVID protocols meant no visitors, no visitors. Larry found a distinction. <laughs> he was not a visitor. He was essential support personnel. <laughs> and so garbed with everything that was necessary medically, island aside, literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, 56 years. God bless you. Bless you in every way. The heart of it all. Remain with us, Lord. And this invitation to remain, to reflect on the goodness, the gift of who he was in our lives leads us to nothing less than the recognition of Christ. Those two disciples, unaware of who they were talking to, unaware of who they invited to dine with, in that moment of the breaking of the bread, what do they do? They see Christ for who he is. They see the risen Lord for all of us us then in gathering together and making our prayers for Larry, we too have the opportunity to see and to experience the risen Lord in our midst. It was said by family that uh, one of the uh, great gifts that he had, that he had Mr. Sheila, was to be able to see Christ in others. To see Christ in others. And how does one have that gift to be able to see Christ. It means that you're searching for Christ, right? A man uh, faithful to the sacraments, a parishioner of St. Thomas in Ojai for well over 40 years. Huh? That sense of the, the sacramental, robust sacramental life. Someone who searched the scriptures. He loved nothing more than to read the Bible, read the scriptures. I remember when I was thinking about my own uh, senior thesis topic and I wanted to investigate the theological virtues and perhaps look at some of the Old Testament figures and I went to him and I said, I'm thinking of looking at Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine about the virtues and his first response is, why wouldn't you start with the scriptures? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, good point. <laughs> Seeking God in the scriptures, knowledge, Jesus comes through scripture and sacraments. This leads us then to that fourth moment in which not only do they recognize Christ, the Christ they ask to remain with them, but now he's not with them. Where is he? He's in them. He's not just with them, but now in the receiving, the breaking of the bread, 
He is living from within them. And how to understand this from our Catholic point of view, the connection we have with our beloved departed. I'll quote the catechism here. It's a catechism not often mentioned, but I'll quote it here. And I know if I quote it here, Mr. Shields would say, cite your reference. Part one, section two, chapter three, article nine, paragraph five, Roman numeral two, on the communion with those in heaven and on earth. That's for you, Mr. Shields. <laughs> the catechism in 958 says this. Our prayer, referencing our prayers for the beloved departed, our prayer is capable, our prayer is capable of not only helping our beloved departed, but of making their intercession for us effective. Let me say that again. It's powerful. Anyone who wants to do a senior thesis, here's, here's, here's a topic for you, rich the dynamic of the community we have and those in the resurrected Christ. Our prayers right now for Larry, for dad, for Mr. Shields makes his intercession for us effective. Wow. It means that as perhaps we share stories later on at the eulogy, as we remember and give thanks, remember? Giving thanks is what? is at the heart of that Eucharistic moment. The Lord giving, the, as we give thanks to God for the life that he lived, the way he impacted all of our lives, in that moment of giving thanks and praying for his soul, we too receive from the Lord whatever particular inspiration, encouragement, or sense of who he was for you, even in this life. There is no doubt that relationship has changed, but it hasn't ended. And in Christ, as that first reading said, the souls of the just are in the hands of the Lord. Huh? And so too, for us who are united to the Lord, we are united in Christ to our beloved departed. What does that mean on a practical level? Whoever he was for you. If he was someone to give encouragement, he can still give you encouragement. What? Through the prayers you make for him. I understand he was the go-to grandpa for homework. <laughs> he can continue to be an inspiration, the go-to person for difficult intellectual tasks and studies. If he was someone who brought peace of mind and heart, a sense of a rock, he can continue to be that rock. He continued to bring that sense of, of peace and joy through the presence of Christ. Were not our hearts burning within us as we remember his life, as we are inspired by 50 years of love and learning and life on this campus. The way we remember him is not an exercise of nostalgia or remembrance, but an exercise of spiritual connection in which he is alive in Christ and to us, particularly as we receive the most holy Eucharist. Allow me to conclude uh, by sharing a very special encounter, a burning of my heart moment that I had, Mr. Shields, not too long ago. 
I was here uh, preaching, as many of you know, uh, for the uh, matriculation for the uh, beginning of the school year a couple of months ago. And after Mass, I saw Mr. Shields in the courtyard, and I know he said hello, but it was so quick because he said, I really was intrigued by your homily. You mentioned the search for wisdom. I want to talk to you more about that. I said, okay. I said, particularly because you mentioned wisdom was a cardinal virtue. And I want to know, were, were you thinking of prudentia? Little hint, you might not quite be right here, Brother Michael. Or were you thinking of it as a gift of the Holy Spirit? Come to my office, let's discuss. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt, right? Now, I, truth be told, I went to his office and those... And there may be those who might have characterized it as a bit untidy. I, I say it was just the fruit of a creative mind in full flight. <laughs> the fact of the matter is we had to find more, hmm, uh, less crowded environs to have our conversation. <laughs> and though we began talking about uh, the homily I gave about wisdom, we had one of those wide-ranging powerful conversations, two hours, two hours. We talked about faith and reason, about Thomas Aquinas. He remembered my thesis better than I did. <laughs> I thought after 50 years, he'd probably done one or two of these things. <laughs> wow. Talked about uh, the Aristotle, the metaphysics, about the gifts of the spirit. But we concluded with the subject of the creation of the world. Creation of the world. We talked about Genesis. And he was delighted. And he said, what do you think about in the beginning? God started the world by making distinctions. <laughs> Distinguishing between light and darkness, sea and sky, land and earth. And then what does he do? He fills them with his life. And in a kind of ascending order or an unfolding order which bespeaks of the freedom of who God is. He said to me, if you think about that seventh day when God rested, that's the interpretive key to it all. Why, Why does God rest? Not because he's tired, not because he's run out of ideas, but to show that he is truly free to create. He's not compelled in any way. He creates from his love, by his love, for communion in love with his creation that sixth day when he creates man and woman his own image and likeness he allows us to share in that sense of love and knowledge of him for Mr. Shields for Larry that pursuit of truth of knowing God animated him the love that he had to remain in and be that central figure that central aspect person of, of gravity towards love of family and friendship, and ultimately, ultimately seeking what? The rest of God, to rest in God. The very last idea he left me with. He, he said, in that rest, we are most free. We are most who God made us to be. It's the last thing. 
last Sunday we ever shared together. Mr. Shields, Larry, Dad, may you come in full freedom to that eternal rest. May you be blessed with knowledge beyond distinction, with love which gives life. And may his soul and the souls of all the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen.